One of the critical things in investing is knowing who the partners are and trusting those partners because it's not a small chunk of money that you're putting into these commercial investments. Your typical minimums are between fifty to a hundred thousand dollars, and so you want to make sure you take your time to vet that sponsor team and make sure they know what they're doing. Welcome to the Invest Nest Real Estate Investing Show, a community for real estate investors to learn, network, and grow. Be sure to join the investnest.com and start learning and earning today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Invest Nest Real Estate Investing Show. As always, I am your host, Travis Murphy, and I want to welcome you all to the Nest this week. We do have another great invest guest joining us. But first, I want to apologize for the last few weeks being somewhat sporadic with the podcast. Like I mentioned in one of the earlier podcasts, I had a flip that I'm working on, and then all of a sudden, we had like three deals come our way. So we had to kind of move quickly, act on them. Still have some of them in the works, and I will update you guys on those a little bit more down the road. That's why I have been somewhat, like I said, sporadic getting the podcast out for the last few weeks. So I wanted to quickly apologize for that. But we do have an invest guest joining us today. We've got a lot of additional guests coming up in the future. So our shows will be stacked from this point forward. So yeah. All right. So today's guest is going to be Camilla Jeffs with SteadyStreamInvestments.com. She's going to talk to us about real estate syndication. She really gives us a great breakdown on what it takes to put together a large commercial investment opportunity or investment. So uh, if you're interested in syndications or being on the other side of that with regards to passive investing into syndications, this is definitely an interview you're going to want to listen to. Uh, Before we get into that, though, I want to remind everyone listening to the podcast to please hit the subscribe button. And if you haven't done so already, go leave us a review and rating in particular on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out. It takes like 10 seconds. Go down, just give us a five-star review. Leave us a quick note. Like I said, really does help us out. Of course, follow us on all of our social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And we can be found at The Invest Nest. Uh, we have a Facebook group page that can be found at facebook.com slash groups slash The Invest Nest. And of course, check out theinvestnest.com. It's an online community for real estate investors to connect and network. It's absolutely free. And like I mentioned on last week's podcast, there are a lot of new features in the works. And I do apologize about the delays, but we want to make sure we get them right. And we are getting close. So stay tuned for updates on the launch of the new InvestNest website. All right. And real quickly, before I forget, if you prefer to watch these interviews instead of just listening, you can also find us on YouTube. And you can watch the full interview by going to YouTube and just searching the InvestNest. All right. And now it's time to get started with the show. And now it's time to welcome this week's invest guest, Camilla Jeffs with SteadyStream Investments is going to talk to us a little bit today about what she does with real estate investing, which I believe is mostly syndications and JV deals. She can be found on Instagram, Facebook at SteadyStream Investments or LinkedIn at Camilla Jeffs. And of course, check out her website, SteadyStreamInvestments.com. Camilla, welcome to the Invest Nest. Thank you, Travis. So happy to be here. Absolutely. My pleasure. Glad to finally connect with you. We had some, do some circling back to one another, but here we are making it happen. So I appreciate you taking the time out to join us. How's everything going so far this year? Is 2021 off to a good start for you? It is. It's off to a fantastic start. I'm very happy about 2021, how things are going. Yeah, it's been very good. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear. Can't be worse than 2020, I hope so. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. So before we go strolling down syndication lane, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of describe to our listeners what you do uh, with real estate investing? Yeah. So what I'm doing now is I'm in multifamily syndications. And syndication is just a fancy word for group investment. So basically, think about what I do. I put together groups of people to buy bigger assets. So if you think about, you know, you're strolling down a city and see the apartment complexes, I'm sure you've wondered, wow, you know, some rich guy really must own this apartment complex. But actually, it's just normal people like me and you who come groups together and then we buy it together. And so that's what's super cool about what I do now, because I get to affect and impact a lot of people's lives in real estate rather than just simply my own and the one tenant in a single family, which is what I did before. I love multifamily because of that. I'm one of the general partners in a real estate syndication. And in this group investment, you'll have people that have the money. You'll have people that have experience. And we bring all of those together to really purchase a property at the same time. And it's super cool. Awesome. So now the next time I'm strolling down the street and I look up at a building, I can just think to myself, oh, that's Rich Camilla that owns that building. Not, not just right. <laughs> Camilla plus 50 other people. <laughs> right, right. And that and that's really why I wanted to have you on here today to talk to us a little bit more about syndications. You know, I think in the real estate investing community, everybody talks about house hacking and burring and flipping and so on and so forth, small multifamilies. And then, you know, it seems almost like there's a graduation on into the big boy league with the, the syndication or the large multifamily investments, more large commercial investments, rather. Before we get into your backstory and how you got into all this, can you just take that explanation of a syndication a step further and just tell our listeners really what a real estate investment syndication means and kind of what that structure looks like more or less. Sure. Yeah. So I talked about that there's really two types of partners, right? There's the partners who are the ones who are the experts. So think of them as the experts in real estate. They've been doing real estate for a long time. They know how to do all the financial analyses. They know how to manage properties. They know how to interview, negotiate, find properties and get them closed and later sell them in the end, right? So think about all that work that goes into a property. If you've done your own real estate investing before, you know it's a ton of work that you put into it. And then the other piece to it is the money. And so all those people who are doing the work are called the general partners. And the general partnership receives a certain percentage of a syndication. Then you bring on what we call passive investors or limited partners. You can call them either thing. And as a passive investor, you are simply putting your money into the project. You don't have to put in the time, the work. You don't have to swing the hammer. You don't have to take the calls at 2 a.m. from the tenants. You don't have to hug a toilet. You don't have to do any of that stuff. It's very similar. I like to compare it to investing in the stock market because in the stock market, you put your money in the stock market. And if you have a mutual fund or a financial advisor, they manage it for you, right? It's just hands off. You don't have to worry about it. Same thing in a multifamily acquisition. You can take your money and instead of putting it in the stock market, you can put the money into a large multifamily investment and you get a lot better returns than you do in the stock market, to be honest. (laughs) And you can do it that way. And so Really, everybody comes together. The passive investors put their money in. And as a structure, if you think about the structure and the splits, 
the splits often favor that passive investor, right? Like because they're putting in the money, we want to make sure that our passive investors are taken care of. And that's something that's one of my specialties is the investor relations part and making sure that our passive investors receive all the communication, all the information, and we preserve their capital. So as we think about the splits, typically, I mean, there's different splits for every deal, but sometimes it will be 70-30. So 70% goes to passive investors, 30% to general partners, or sometimes it's 80-20. I mean, depending on, we kind of tweak the numbers to make sure passive investors are getting a really great return, because that's something that's really important to us. Because otherwise, why would you put your money into a real estate investment if you're not getting a great return? So we want to make sure passive investors get that fantastic return, plus all the tax benefits of owning real estate, which are huge. And so if you need some help with taxes, because even though you invest in a multifamily syndication as a passive investor, you're still going to get, it's a pass-through tax benefit. So it's going to come right back to you. And often those losses, those paper losses will offset any income plus some. So you get cash flow tax benefits, and you get appreciate get to participate in the appreciation. So when it sells at the end, you will get 70% of the proceeds. Yeah. Okay. That was a great explanation. Uh, there was a lot there. And I think what happens with people is they get a little bit scared off by syndication. You know, you hear it, like I said, you know, we think it's like the big leagues and it's this big complex monster. And like you just explained, there's really two size of it. You're either the person like the sponsor or the the general partner who's really more or less putting the deal together, right? You're out there finding the deals, running the numbers, pulling all the pieces together, putting them in place. And then the other side of that coin is the passive investor. That's the person, maybe this somebody who high net worth individual or just has excess capital that they want to diversify from the stock market with and they want to put some in real estate, but they don't want to go out and do all the stuff that we talk about on our podcasts and we read in the books about becoming a real estate investor. They just want to park their money and reap the rewards. You know, that's funny. Real quick, I don't mean to get off track here, but we also often hear real estate investing and passive income in the same sentence. But really, a lot of us investors out here that are not, unless we're just putting money into a syndication, it's not really truly passive. You know, there is a lot of work that goes into it. Now it's, I guess, semi-passive, you can call it, but the syndication, the way it works it actually is a vehicle for truly passive investing for those out there that just want to put their money into real estate. Yeah. And you just listed a few of the benefits that come along with that. And you mentioned also capital preservation of your partners, but it's also, there's a final step to that too, if I'm correct, where it's a return of capital to investors. So can you kind of take us through the life cycle of a syndication? What does it look like when it starts? How does it start? What is the process of acquisition look like? And then once it's under ownership, the management, which I assume comes from the general partner side, and then the disposition or when you're ready to, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously want to return that capital to your passive investors and either the form of selling or refinancing. But can you just walk us through that scenario of what a real estate syndication looks like? You bet. So in the beginning, it starts out with the general partners, right? So the active real estate investors, the pros who are out there, and they spend a lot of time trying to find the best property. So I'll give you an example. This latest property that my team is working on closing, it's 100 units in the Oklahoma area. We have evaluated over 100 different properties to get the one right? It takes a lot of effort and time to be able to find one that makes sense for our investors. Because remember, our number one goal here is to have a great return for our investors. And so it has to pencil out. And this market right now is 
pretty intense too. The competition is intense, even in the multifamily space, competition is intense as the market kind of heats up. So we're being patient and we're making sure that we're going to get a good deal. So tons of effort and work up front. Once the deal gets under contract, we go through a similar due diligence, right? Just like you would with a single family home where you go and you walk around and you check it and you have an inspection done and you make sure you can get insurance on it and you get lending and, and all of that. So we do all of that work. Once we know that the property is viable, it's going to be a great deal. Then we prepare a package and it's, it's called an offering memorandum. But basically, it's just a presentation to send out to passive investors to see who would like to have the opportunity to invest in this deal. And once we send that out, then you as a passive investor would take a peek at it. You would look at all the numbers. You would you'll look at the market, look at the data that's sent out. I mean, it's extensive. It's 25 to 30 pages usually of here's all the information about the market, the deal, the data that you would need to know. We hold a webinar and the webinar, we invite all passive investors to come to the webinar to ask their questions, to hear from the general partnership team. One of the critical things in investing is knowing who the partners are and trusting those partners because it's not a small chunk of money money that you're putting into these commercial investments, your typical minimums are between 50 to $100,000. And so you want to make sure you take your time to vet that sponsor team and make sure they know what they're doing. After the webinar, then we'll open up the opportunity to investors. And depending on the deal, I mean, this last deal, it filled up in three days. We had all of the money committed in three days because it was such a great opportunity and our investors were ready and excited to participate. Then from that point, we close the deal, right? So we get all the you know lending comes in, the appraisal comes in, you know, similar to a single family transaction. And we sign the docs, send out a notification to investors like, whoop, we closed. All right, we're excited. Here's the business plan. Here's our plan to take this property from good to great. And then we start executing the plan. Sometimes the plan looks like renovating all the units. And after you renovate the units, you can typically raise the rent because tenants are more than happy to pay for a nicer place. Sometimes the plan includes reducing the expenses. Maybe the expenses are just astronomical in this property, or maybe there's poor property management. And so sometimes the plan is just to put better property management. So we look at, you know, how can we increase revenue and how can we decrease expenses? Because at the end of the day, that property's value is based on what we call net operating income, which is simply whatever rent comes in, you know, an income comes in minus all the expenses. And then there's a multiplier depending on what market you're in, right? Because Oklahoma market is cheaper than California, for example. Same thing happens in multifamily as single family as far as markets are concerned. And then throughout the deal, a multifamily deal typically lasts around five years, depending on you know what the sponsor team decides to do with it. And five years is a pretty good time. It gives us time to complete the business plan. So if there are renovations to be done, we're not going to do a hundred units all at once because then we have zero revenue, right? So we'll do them in five unit chunks and that will take around two years to get the renovations complete, get all the expenses down. And then we give it another three years to appreciate and let rents you know, naturally increase. At the end of the five years, now we always say approximately five years, because if in five years, it's a really terrible market, we're not going to sell because then our investors would not get a good return. So we will wait and be patient and make sure we have the right loan on the property that we're not in trouble, that we have to sell at year five, right? We put long-term debt on it, but time comes to sell, then we will put the property up for sale and negotiate with a new buyer. 
buyer says, yep, I want it. And then we sell the property. And at that point, your initial capital is returned to you promptly. And then, you know, a couple months later, after all the books are closed and expenses come in and everything, you'll receive your profits. Sometimes in the middle of that, around year three, we could do a cash out refinance. So Burr, right? <laughs> the Burr method, where you get your capital or a portion of your capital returned back to you. And this is where the real power of multifamily syndication comes in. Because if you can get something like that to happen, now you have that capital you can go redeploy in another syndication and you're doubling up on your investment. Like that's super powerful. And then at the end, and all along the way, you're getting a tax document. So you're getting cash distributions, which could be monthly or quarterly. And then yearly, you're getting your tax document showing your paper losses because the property won't go into mega losses, but on paper, it will show a loss for you. This is why I love syndications because, you know, if you think about it, there's so much creativity behind it and there's so many different ways to do it. You, like you said, like the burr and redistributing the capital, but like that on steroids, you know, so I could literally spend all day talking to you about this stuff, but you know, basically it's a, instead of going in and doing a, a burr and improving the value and then what we talk about the ARV or the after repair value, and then going back to the bank and refining and getting your capital back so you can go do it, but holding on to the investment. It's similar to that concept, but just multiplied by a large number of people, which allows you to go take on a much larger investment. You mentioned taking on a property and either raising the rents or increasing the income or minimizing the expenses or ideally both to improve that NOI. And what basically that is, is the same process of somebody buying a rundown property and fixing it up to realize the improved value. And in multifamily, it's called forced appreciation, right? And mm -hmm. those metrics, I could get into a lot of fun stuff with metrics, but I don't want to bore all of our listeners. But you know what you're talking about, the NOI and then that calculate or the what you use to extrapolate that out to get the value of the property is what we call the cap rate, right? And so if you think about it, if you buy a property at whatever the cap rate is, say 7%, and it's based on the net operating of the property at that time, that's going to give you the purchase price. If you increase the rents and decrease the expenses, and you now have improved your net operating income or your NOI, if you use that same cap rate, which is basically like in residential would use a, an appraisal for, because that's what's establishing the going rate in that market. You now can take that same cap rate that you purchased the property for, but the property is worth that much more because of the improvement to the NOI. And that's really where the forced appreciation comes into play. And what's so great about syndication, because at that point, there's not really too many outside factors. The commercial real estate is mostly based on the finances. It's not what the apartment down the street sold for, you know, like it is in residential. So you have a lot more control over the investment, not only from a creativity standpoint, but also just from an execution standpoint. And so it can be safer in a lot of, re in, in a lot of regards. And then, you know, once you get to that point, if you have executed and delivered, then you have the options to, like you said, either refi and distribute capital back or as much of the capital back to your partners to go make additional investments or sell and reap the gain right then and there. But you have those options. And typically around that five-year point, is that because a lot of the commercial loans are with like a five-year arm and the rate's going to reset after that point? Or is five years just usually what is needed to improve the property and, and realize that forced appreciation? 
Yeah, typically we like to say five years because that gives us enough time to to realize those that appreciation, right? And and for you know for things to grow and for the market to mature a little bit. That's why we say five years. But there's been many that you know sell within two years or three years. You know, it just depends on on how the market goes and and the business plan. But we like to just set the expectation of five years in case we need for it to go that long in order to realize the right gains. Okay, so and that's the thing on the general member side, you guys have the control over it, right? So you make the decision. If you guys picked up a bunch of appreciation, it looks like you can cash in. It's up to the general partners to make that decision. But in a syndication, is there a fiduciary responsibility to your passive investors to make sure you're doing what's in the best interest of them and their money before yourselves? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we build that into our numbers. I mean, I haven't even talked about a what, what we do is we call it a preferred return. So we typically offer our passive investors a preferred return, which just means you'll get money before any of the general partners get anything, right? And so that first, and sometimes it's typically between six to 8%, first six to 8% of profit right off the top goes straight to passive investors and general partners will get nothing unless we've achieved higher than that as a return potential. Yeah. So it's almost like an operating expense of the property. This is where I could get, spend a ton of time with you on. Cause like, you know, setting it up and structuring, that's where also it starts to get a lot more complex. You start talking about, you know, promotes and waterfalls and things like that, but the basic <laughs> concept of it, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but in a simple explanation, simple version is, you know, once the asset is performing and you've got the tenants and then you're improving the rents and so on and so forth, the money comes in, all of the operating expenses and the cost of owning that that property get taken care of first. Then what's left over is what you would call like profit or literally mm-hmm. net operating income or whatever. Then that gets split up, however, you know, is in the agreement, in the syndication agreement. And you can set that up if you want to put the advantage into the passive investors court where they're going to, before it gets split up based on equity splits, but they're going to ensure they're getting a return first before it then gets splits up get split up amongst the equity, all the equity partners. And with that follow up, I would assume that there's like capital reserves that get met first. So like, you know, all the business operational expenses get paid first. Then you make sure all your reserve accounts are filled to the limit. I guess that's where the kind of the waterfall comes into place. And then everything that's left over spills over into the next pond, which would be if you do have preferred returns, gets distributed out to the passive investors, then to the last pond. And then that's where I, I guess that's where the last distribution would occur of just equity splits out to people either monthly or quarterly. Is, is that basically how it works? Yeah, that's very similar, right? And and what you described is a very conservative approach, which is what we do, right? Like when you talk about the reserves, right? I mean, if you think about if you bought rental property on your own and you use all your money to buy it and renovate it, and then you put a tenant in that, and now you got your one tenant, they paid a thousand dollars and now all of a sudden you had the garage broke, right? You had to replace a garage door. Well, you have no money to do that. And now you're at risk. You're putting your investment at risk. We try to reduce the risk as much as possible because number one to us is don't ever lose money. And then like, if you've heard Warren Buffett, he says, number one rule, don't ever lose money. Number two rule, refer to number one, right? (laughs) Like that's Mm -hmm. super important. Don't lose money. And so we always have a buffer in our accounts and we do have a threshold for that buffer just to make sure that if anything goes wrong, we can cover it without having to say, oops, sorry, investors, you don't get anything or, oh, actually investors, we need more money. Can you guys please give us more money? Because we have this big problem. 
as much as humanly possible because we don't have a crystal ball, right? But we try to think about what could happen in the future and make sure there's enough reserves around to keep the property. You want to reduce the risk on the property. And for me, a multifamily investment, although it's a multi-million dollar asset, feels less risky than a single family property just by nature of, you know, the revenue and expenses. Because if someone moves out of my single family home, my revenue drops to zero, nothing. But if someone moves out of my 100 unit or even 10 people move out of my 100 unit, my revenue does not take a significant hit. And so there's that safety in numbers. Yeah. And I think that comes back to really like where you have almost more control over a larger syndication deal. And I think it's because the really the biggest difference between what a lot of, I guess, smaller investors do is that with the commercial investing in the syndication, you actually have some control over the appreciation component to the equation. So like, Regular investors are small, multifamily, you know, three units or somebody that's investing in single families, right? They can run the numbers and plug everything in to make sure their acquisition costs and their holding costs and their operating costs are all covered by the cash flow, right? And then they can even, if you want, take it a step further and, and factor in what you're going to get with principal pay down and, you know, look at what you're going to be saving on taxes. But the one thing that you can't really account for is appreciation on regular residential investing. Now we can assume we can put like a 2% appreciation rate in or something like that. And it might be like the last six months where we all of a sudden get a big kick of appreciation, but you can't really control any of that stuff as opposed to the larger investments or commercial investing or syndication. Back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago with the net operating income and the cap rate, you do have control of that because again, the value of the investment is based on the revenue and the expenses or the income of the property. And that's what you have control over. If you improve the revenue and the net operating income, then you're improving the values. Like you mentioned earlier, you can pencil it out in much more detail. And the thing that's really cool about it is now when you're looking at an investment, like you said before, you guys analyze 100 deals before you land on one. You pencil all this stuff out, you model it out. Some deals look better than others. Some have better opportunity than other, but you can take it a step further and adjust how that deal is structured to make it a better return or I guess a more appealing return to your passive investors. And what I mean by that is you can adjust those equity splits, like you said. So like if you're only giving up 70% to your investors, their rate of return on their investment is going to be lower than if you give up a higher percentage of equity. So you can make that deal look better and more appealing to your investors by giving up more equity and making those types of adjustments, which at the end of the day is allowing you as the general members and the sponsors of the deal and putting it together to get into it and take down another property and add it to your portfolio. Uh, so it's like this big engine that just keeps going. And I, I love it, but it's not easy though. I mean, it sounds simple in concept. I don't want to go on and on now, but my, you know, I've talked in the past about my partners and I, how we attempted to get into a small multifamily, like a mid-sized multifamily. We sold a bunch of our rental properties all to one investor. And we were going to 1031 exchange into like, we were looking for a 20 or 30 unit, right? It was going to be our first stab at it. It was just over last fall and in the last winter. And as soon as we you had our money intermediary, the 1031 intermediary, and we were ready, we had already been looking, but we were ready to pull the trigger. The market was dry and competitive. So, you know, while before previously, we're looking at all these opportunities out there and analyzing them and seeing all these great returns, all of a sudden, when you do start penciling it out and it's in this competitive landscape, people are paying over what the list price is. And the list price is already high, which when you're measuring it, it's compressing the cap rate, right? Because everything's based around the cap rate. So 
the higher the purchase price, the more low the cap rate is. But at the end of the day, it just made it very difficult. So we had like all these pieces in place and it's what we wanted to do and we were ready to do it, but it doesn't just mean it's going to happen. That's where the hard work and the experience comes into play. So for people that want to try to do what you're doing, what would you say to them as far as either, not necessarily the recommendation, but just like how to go about getting into this type of stuff and what you think they should know about it before they begin? And my first piece of advice is always invest passively yourself first. That's what I did. I invested passively into a multifamily syndication so I could learn while my money was making more money, right? Like I wanted to learn from the experienced people about how to do that. And I also knew that it was important for me to understand the journey of a passive investor so I could speak to them much more easily. So I was there in your shoes, like making that decision, trying to figure out what do I need to know to do this, feeling terrified that first time I was going to transfer that $50,000 to someone and be like, well, hope this goes well, right? <laughs> like, like it's real, you know, the emotional journey that happens as a passive investor, especially your first time is, is real. And that's why I like to focus on first time passive investors and helping them. Now, second step for me to, you know, to get to where I am now was to change my mindset around partnerships. Because prior to this, all of my investing, I've been an investor for almost 19 years. All of it has been on my own, we are with my family, right? And I had never explored partnering with another person to be able to buy something bigger. I had never bought anything really big. The biggest I had gone up until this point was a fourplex. I had done lots of single families and fourplexes. And so I was thinking about, well, how to scale and scaling really means partnering with other people. And so it's figuring out who you can partner with, not necessarily the how. And then as I was thinking about this, okay, well, I've got to change my mindset around that. I got to be okay and comfortable with partnering. And, and I always think about like in school and you get a group project and I hated group projects because I knew I would be the one doing all the work. And <laughs> these other kids would just be like, Woo, Camilla's on my team. I don't have to do anything because you know, grades were important to me. Right. And so I thought, well, this is crazy because now I have to trust other partners. And then I also have to be a reliable partner and make sure I don't let anybody else down. Whereas before it was just on my own. So partnering is crucial. Networking is crucial. The next step in there is to figure out which part of the partnership are you good at? Like, what's your superpower? What can you bring to the team? Because if you just kind of talk to people and be like, hey, I want to do multifamily, my very first question to you would be, okay, well, what can you add to our team? Like what part of this puzzle, where do you fit? And I think about it in four different jobs. So you have the acquisition specialist. This is the person that loves to talk to brokers. It's out there pounding the doors and, and talking to brokers, doing the negotiations, figuring out the lending. And once their property is under contract, getting it to close, that's your acquisition specialist. Then you have your underwriter. An underwriter is just simply a financial analyst, someone who loves spreadsheets, right? Like you love to get into spreadsheets and play with them and manipulate them. And you're okay doing that a hundred times before you get paid, right? That's the underwriter. Third is your capital raiser slash investor relations person. And this is the person who can go out and talk to people and bring money to a deal. You can't get a deal without money, right? You can't buy it without money. And we're talking significant. I mean, our last raise we did was $2.5 million. So we've got to go out and we've got to help investors 
feel comfortable with the opportunity and get them involved and into the deal. And then after the deal closes, communicating with them and making sure that they are on the journey with us and have full transparency into what's happening in the deal. The fourth job is your asset manager. This is the person who knows how to manage the property manager. Now we've always put professional property management into our properties because they're like a hundred units. So they're on-site property managers, but the asset manager needs to execute the business plan. So help develop and then execute the business plan, manage the property, address challenges as they come up and just keep things going smoothly for the partnership. So if you think about those four roles, which one would you naturally gravitate toward and which hole could you fill once you've understood yourself? And so for me, it was capital raiser and investor relations. That was my wheelhouse because I'm an educator at heart. I love to educate people and, and help them just really understand it thoroughly before they invest. And so that's where I fell in. Well, now I have to find someone who's an acquisition specialist. I got to find a, a really great underwriter and I've got to find a good asset manager. But at the same time, I need to be know enough to be dangerous in all of those too, right? So I, I'm not just coming in as a blind partner and, and can only do one thing, one trick pony. That's my suggestion is just start understanding the roles, start learning the lingo, listen to podcasts like this one and, and try and figure out you know, where you would land and how you could contribute to putting together a big deal like this. Great. And that was a great breakdown on like what it looks like from a team's perspective. I think that helps draw clear lines for somebody that gets excited about syndications and wants to attempt to putting it together of what the roles that are needed and you know what actually has to take place. So that was a great breakdown, you know, and even the, you know, the asset manager, people, I think automatically start to think of the property manager, but like you said, no, the property manager manages just that they're managing the property. The asset manager is managing the asset or basically the business, the plan, the business plan and the execution behind it and delivering all the, what the, you laid out at the outset and trying to you know, get those returns back to your passive investors. And I think one thing I would add to that is if you don't really find that you fit any of those roles, maybe you belong on the other side if you have some money, you know, you just you just throw some money into the pot. But the thing that's great, like you said about partnerships, it's like we, sometimes we have a hard time. We think we're giving something up by partnering, right? But no, even on a small deal, but I'm going to use the example of a syndication since we're talking about it. It's really about leveraging each other, right? Like you and your team has the expertise and the experience, the knowledge and the ability to do these investments, right? And other people don't have the time to even attempt to learn that or even want to, but they might have money. So by joining and leveraging one another, you're able to, everyone's able to reap the rewards. We didn't even get into leverage and debt and some of the benefits of some of the, you know, we talked about how these can be less risky and almost to an extent, not, I don't want to use the word easy because they're not, but they're just morally clearly defined. And that applies with lending as well. There's, you know, non-recourse agency debt out there that's basically set up for these type of investments. And if you meet the criteria, you're pretty much going to get funded. And that's again, back to taking another example of partners and how you can leverage different aspects of the, you know, the members, whether it's their net worth or their existing portfolio or what have you, allows you to go and put these packages together and finance them and then repeat the process. But Unfortunately, we're not going to have time to get into all of that today, but this has been a great breakdown of a syndication deal. I think you've done an excellent job of explaining it. But before I let you go, it is time for our segment, Advice from Our Invest Guest. I ask the same three questions of our guest each week, 
And I'm going to start with question number one. What is one thing you can recommend to anyone out there listening to the podcast right now that has not started investing in real estate yet that they could do to help get them on the way? One thing I would recommend is find a meetup and start attending right away because you've got to get to know what other people are doing. The more you can be inspired by other people's stories and talk to them and just ask questions. I've found the real estate investor community to be amazingly helpful. And it's something that I made a mistake in my investing journey, right? Like I said, my first 15 years of investing was all alone, right? And I didn't talk to anybody about it. And I literally thought I was the only woman doing it in the US, right? <laughs> and I've come to learn that that's simply not true. I have found thousands of other you know, women like me who are investing in real estate And that's because I chose to step out. I stepped outside of myself and started attending these meetups. So even if you've never invested before, you haven't gotten one property, go to the meetups. Like people there are so happy to help newbies. I I am. You've never invested before and you're interested in multifamily. I would love to talk to you and to, you know, help you understand the benefits and what you need to know. But yeah, start going to meetups for sure. Yeah. Great, great answer. I mean, I think with the power of social media, community has grown, the Invest Nest community. I mean, it's so large and people are out there. They love to talk. They love to help. I mean, obviously people like to talk about themselves and what they're doing. So don't feel intimidated to reach out to people. There's a guarantee you, if you haven't explored social media or the Invest Nest, there's a large conversation going on about real estate investing every aspect of it at all times. So go get involved if you have not yet already. And of course, I always recommend go find a local meetup group as well. Mm -hmm. That way you can really get start getting some contacts and get into the networks within your own market. Okay, so great answer. Question number two, looking back, is there one thing you might do differently along your investing journey if you were to go back and start over again? I would partner earlier. I definitely partner earlier because, you know, I spent 15 years and I don't want to say that it was wasted years because they taught me a lot of things. And I'm actually very happy with the pace and sequence of of my investing career right now. But I think had I partnered earlier or, you know, at least started exploring partnerships, then I could have been further along than I am today. Okay. Good. Great answer. Yep. I hear it get started earlier a lot as the answer to that question, but partnering early, that's a, earlier. That's a good one because you know if you're looking to scale and grow, partnerships are key. I have to agree with you there. All right. Question number three, do you have a book recommendation for our audience that would you know maybe like to learn more about syndications and all the things you're talking about here today? Yes. I feel like I'm singing the same song, but I'm going to recommend who, not how the book, Who Not How. Because if you think about that, even just asking yourself that question, you know, like, I'd like to buy a 20 unit. Don't think about how do I buy it? Think about who can help you buy it. And if you keep that perspective in mind, you will definitely be able to scale faster with that partnership. So that's a really great book to help you in your investment journey. Awesome. Yeah. I have not read that, but I've heard others recommend that book. So I will have to check it out. Who, not how. Great, great recommendation. All right, Camilla, this has been a ton of fun for our nesters out there that are listening and want to learn more about you and more about syndications in general. How can they reach out to you and find out more about this style of investing? Yeah, so I've created a course on my website and you can just grab it right there on the front page, steadystreaminvestments.com. It's called Passive Investing Made Easy. It's videos that I come in that kind of drip into your email. It has a full 10-year plan in it where if you invest passively for you know 10 years and you do one investment per year for 10 years, 
what would that look like and where would you be in 10 years? And I'm not going to give it away, but I promise that it'll blow your mind where you could be in 10 years. So that course is on there, Passive Investing Made Easy. Happy to share that with anyone. It's free and you can find it there. Is that your free masterclass that I saw on the website? Yes. Uh-huh. Awesome. All right. So definitely everybody go check it out. SteadyStreamInvestments.com. Uh, Camilla has a free masterclass on there. So definitely go check it out. I'll have the link down in the show notes as well. Real quickly, I did want to touch on one or two things before I let you go. How many units you got? are you up to? It doesn't have to be exact, but what range are you up to? About 250 units as an active investor and 100 as a passive investor. Awesome. And then you said you're working on one now that was around 100 units? Yes. And where about in the process are you guys? Uh, we're closing in two weeks. So I'm awesome. very excited. Awesome. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. And, you know, maybe down the road in a few months, once you guys acquire and start, you know, executing the game plan, maybe we get you back on, get us an update. That'd be perfect. I'd love to. Awesome. Camilla, this has been a lot of fun. I really do appreciate you joining us here today on the Invest Nest and talking to us about real estate syndications. It's been a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. I wish you the best of luck in 2020 and beyond, and hopefully we get to have you back sometime. Thanks, Travis. Really appreciate it. And I also want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in again this week. I hope you all enjoyed that interview with Camilla as much as I did. That was a ton of information on syndications, which I am a big fan of. I have not done one yet, but I've done a lot of research on them. If you haven't and that stuff interests you, I suggest you go check out Camilla. She's got a lot of great information, a lot of free resources. And again, I'll have all of her links down in the show notes below. All right. I also want to thank you all for joining me this week. As always, we have our weekly podcast every Wednesday morning with a weekly invest guest that talks to us about their investing journey and what their investing style So uh, if you don't want to miss out on any of our upcoming podcasts, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And of course, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Invest Nest. And don't forget about theinvestnest.com. All right, everyone. As always, I am your host, Travis Murphy, and we will see you next week on The Invest Nest Real Estate Investing Show. Thank you for joining us on the Invest Nest Real Estate Investing Show. Be sure to join theinvestnest.com and start learning and earning today.